Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Ron. This is our review of Tales from the Crypt Presents Bordello of Blood, starring Dennis Miller, Erica Laniac, Angie Everhart, Chris Sarandon, Corey Feldman, and John Cassier. Directed by Gilbert Adler, released in 1996 on a budget of $15 million, it grows 5.7, tanking at the box office, and pretty well ending... Um, the Tales from the Crypt run at uh, success here. So the idea uh, was that they wanted to do a trilogy of Tales from the Crypt movies, and they were going to be tied together loosely by something, and they chose that something to be the the object from last time that was the magical MacGuffin from last time. The the key that held the blood that the demons were looking at after. But in this case, it's going to be uh, used very differently. So I kind of like the idea of having something that ties us from one to the other, but without being the same plot over and over again. Well, uh, to be fair, William Sadler is also in this. So that's, that's right. two for two. That's right. He's the mummy talking to the Crypt Keeper, and they play the uh, game of cut off a limb based on paper, rock, scissors, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and the Crypt Keeper loses a hand in that ga- game, I believe. But uh, ultimately, it looks like the mummy loses everything else. Hey, but the, this one is, man, it's vampires. Right and Dennis Miller. What could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, it's a good it's really a good bit of cross promotion on HBO's part because <laughs> if I remember correctly, this is the time they had Dennis Miller live. Yep. And Tales from the Crypt at the same time. Oh well, so that totally explains a lot of things. I had not put that together, but you're right. That makes sense. So because this is post SNL Miller and it's what he was doing HBO. You're right. So <laughs> the talk show Miller. So before he became a radio host, I think, or at least a nationwide one, and I think before his regrettable stint on Monday Night Football. <laughs> so, um, yes, well so. before, back when he had a future. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so oddly enough, though, you know, I, I will say this about Dennis Miller. There's some comedians that work in, in film and, and do well. Um, you know, Eddie Murphy, you know, that uh, Richard Pryor to some extent. These guys do some stuff right. But... Uh, there's some of them that it just, it doesn't ever really work. And for me, Dennis Miller's always been one of those because I've only seen one movie that he was in that I thought he looked remotely competent doing what he was supposed to do. And that was Disclosure, which was a year before this. He was really good in that, in that small part he had. But everything else I've ever seen him in, I was like, uh, I don't know. I think he was in some Wesley Snipes film once where he was a detective or something. I was like, nah, this ain't gonna, nah. So Dennis Miller for me is kind of hit or miss outside of his sketch. Uh, yeah, that, that seems to be a pretty good, he is the pre Norm Macdonald, Norm Macdonald, I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, that was him uh, for sure. So, but I don't know. I, you know, the, the 
crack on Miller is, and I think it's Dana Carvey that does the impression of him that's so good, is that he starts using this vast vocabulary, that, but in a way that doesn't seem to really string together or make any sense. So, <laughs> so it's it, he's insulting you, but you don't realize it, so you're learning along the way. So it's very strange. So, but but it's always like you know cracks and jokes, and I I call him sort of the pre Joss Whedon pop culture rific reference guy. It's it's kind of you know having watched a lot of Whedon in my day, especially with the Buffy stuff. I, Dennis Miller's type of humor should appeal to me, but for a lot of reasons, it it just never totally worked. I don't know. It it, it works for me. Uh, I, maybe it's because that was a about the time I started to watch Saturday Night Live. Uh, towards the end of his run uh, when he was the weekend update anchor. Maybe it's because I was exposed to his uh, television show waiting for Tales from the Crypt to come on. (laughs) (laughs) It could be. So, but now the the idea here is, I'm just going to say is quite interesting what they're going to try to pull off here because the rest of this cast, you know, I talked about the cast last time I had connections to the rest of this cast too. I don't know anybody in the nineties that didn't know the, the blonde and redhead combo of Erica Laniac and Angie Everhart. Uh, I think Angie Everhart was Sly Stallone's, you know, squeeze for a little while and was pretty much, you know, just the tall redhead that wasn't Cindy Crawford. So she was yeah. the sl- she was the slutty Cindy Crawford, and <laughs> with the deeper voice. And Erica Laniac was the the blonde from Under Siege. And uh, of course, who can forget her turn in the. Uh, uh, Beverly Hillbillies films as uh, Ellie Mae. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, she was the other, you know, the beautiful blonde that, you know, both of them, a lot of skin and were there to be, you know, oogled by, by men of, of my age in the nineties. So I, I knew both of them. Of course, who didn't know Corey Feldman at the height of his coke addiction <laughs> and, uh, and other yeah. things. I, well, I don't know. He may have been clean at this point, but this I, I kind of doubt it. Yeah. This was pre, you know, reuniting with the lost boys <laughs> films and stuff. And of course, Chris Randon to me, man, will always be Jerry Dandridge from the original fright night. I love that movie and I love him in it. And every time I see him playing something, I just sort of think of Jerry. I, See you soon. Yeah, I think that was the whole point. They got a Lost Boy and they got Fright Night in the same vampire flick. I, I know. If only they'd had George Hamilton somewhere in there, you know, from, from uh, um, his bad turn as, as vampire uh, Dracula. It would have been. It would have been complete. Oh yeah, yeah. that would have been it. Yeah, how can how can you forget? They could have got Jim Carrey because he was in Once Bitten. But anyway, so <laughs> I think actually he was having a career at that moment in 1996. So uh, yeah, he was. Um... <laughs> Closing out in living color and writing that Ace Ventura mask. Yes, yes, that's exactly what he was doing. So this looks like the the kind of thing that I would go for, just knowing the stuff I have watched and what I like. I like vampire flicks. Mm -hmm. I always have been sucker for them. It's one of the things that drew me to Buffy initially. And you know, so I went and saw this in theaters. I remember it. I didn't know anything about Tales from the Crypt, but I knew Dennis Miller. I thought was funny on SNL, and I thought, ooh, vampires and the two hot chicks. And yeah, sure. Corey Feldman, I'm down. I remember going to see this in the Dollar Theater. And I, I think I had said before in a previous podcast, I only saw one other horror movie in 96, in, in 95 and 96, Halloween and Scream. I didn't count this as a horror movie because after I walked out of it, I realized what I had just seen was what I turned to a friend of mine at the time as the worst Saturday Night Live sketch you'll never see. <laughs> and that, that's, that was my only memory of it. And I do think I saw it again with a group of friends in like a movie rental phase or something sometime later. 
later in college, but I have not seen this in many years before watching it for this podcast. It's not exactly the kind of thing that you hunt down anymore. No. And and really, uh, it's almost like Tales from the Crypt has kind of gone to lengths to distance itself from the failure because uh, on the IMDb, it just it just comes up as Bordello of Blood. Yeah. But for the other one, you have to do Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight, uh, as part of its official name. So it's like they realized, hey, this is terrible. Let's just pretend it didn't happen. Yeah, well, yeah. Even on the on the poster here that I'm looking at on Wiki, Tales from the Crypt is in small little type underneath Angie Everhart's leg, and it's Bordello of Blood is the top of it. So it it was like they were trying to distance themselves from it, even in the the promotion of it. And but so, you still at least you get the Crypt Keeper drinking a martini. That's yeah. <laughs> if that doesn't get people into the theaters, nothing will. Exactly. Just to know what that was about. So. Yeah, I think the Crypt Keeper's going to be in uh, Avengers Age of Ultron as the newest (laughs) Avenger. Hey, was he in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy playing around with Howard the Duck, too? Because I missed him if he was. (laughs) But, uh, you know, maybe another He was there with E.T. There we go. There we go. Hanging over by by Senator Jar Jar Binks on the side. So, well, now that we've gone through that, uh, why don't you uh, give us a quick run through, Ron? Tell us what Bordello of Blood is actually all about. All right. When Caleb Verdu, as played by the great drug addict Corey Feldman, <laughs> goes missing, his last known whereabouts are the most Corey Feldman-y place possible, a bordello that holds court in the basement of a rundown mortuary run by McCutcheon, Aubrey Morris, who looks like a pederast supreme. Yes. <laughs> Caleb's sister, the straight-laced church-going Catherine, is played by Erica Alaniac in a spectacular bit of miscasting. Yes. Hires private detective Rafe Gutman, Dennis Miller, to track down her brother. But he does more than that. He uncovers a conspiracy involving televangelist Reverend Current, as played by Chris Sarandon, his gal Friday Vincent, as played by Phil Fondacaro, <laughs> and the evil queen of vampires, Lilith, Angie Everhart. Now it's up to Gutman to stop the evil, save the world, and get the girl while avoiding the clutches of the Bordello of Blood. (laughs) Can we please just talk about the amazing amount of stunt casting that's in this film? (laughs) And we already mentioned some of it, that you got all these people from vampire famous films in it. But the roles these people are asked to play. Hold up. Corey Feldman gets to play a wild, out-of-control maybe in his 20-something guy that falls into peril because he parties too hard. <laughs> okay. Erica Laniac plays someone working for a televangelism company, but she's basically just a marketing hound. For Chris Sarandon plays a televangelist with a Fender Strat. Yes. <laughs> and, and Angie Everhart is a vampire queen and... Dennis Miller is a gumshoe. <laughs> so yeah, Dennis, Dennis Miller plays himself. Yes. I want to ask this right now. How on earth does this movie fail so spectacularly, Ron? The cast seems to be set up perfectly for what they're trying to do here. You mentioned last time Demon Knight was when was kind of like when Tales from the Crypt tried to be semi-serious and, and gory, and this is when they try to be goofy. And... I, on paper, this looks like it should work like gangbusters, but it most definitely does not. 
I I can't see how any of the dialogue Dennis Miller says was written mm-hmm. at any point. It just I, I think they gave him a script with straight lines, and he just Dennis Millered all over it. Like <laughs> it's like, well, I can't say that like this. I gotta say, you know, hey, toots, blah blah blah. Here's a reference to John Paul Sartre, <laughs> and it's it's kind of a I. I enjoyed it a lot more than you because I enjoy a good train wreck. <laughs> well, I enjoy a good train wreck too. Troll Two is one of the greatest train wrecks of all time. <laughs> but I have to at least enjoy the ride of the train wreck. And what happens? And I can tell you when it happens. This movie, at some point in its existence, tries to play it both ways. It tries to start taking itself seriously long after the cat is out of the bag. And that is my biggest problem with it. When it turns in the middle of the second act to try to be a real horror film, it completely runs off the rails. So, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Uh, I didn't think it ever really tried to be a straight horror film, but you know, I think uh, we're just going to have to have a different interpretation here. Well, let's let's get into it then and, and talk about the film as, as it happens. Let's talk about the opening. Because this was not what I expected. I didn't get my Crypt Keeper opening. What, what happened? In the theatrical version, they ended up removing the – let me double-check to make sure I'm just not making stuff up. I thought for <laughs> sure I read that somewhere. Okay. But I had read somewhere that uh, the Crypt Keeper uh, opening wasn't in the theatrical version and was added after the fact. Let me double check here because this makes good podcast. Oh, that's fine. We can we can always cut that. So, all right. I don't. I must have. Well, there wasn't one in the version I watched. Is what I was I was saying. Really? Yeah. Because when when I watched it, it 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 went straight to the jungle and the little guy with the not Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, Mateo. Or yeah, but the, <laughs> didn't the, the, the Crypt Keeper showed up after that, though, right? Okay, yeah, it was after that. That's what I mean. I th- expected it from the top well, and it, not see, there. Yeah, yeah. It, it was like in the the first one, we had the cold... Uh, we had the... Do you want to just restart this? Because yeah. now I have a good explanation. Yeah, let me understand. So what I'm surprised by is I don't get the Crypt Keeper right here out of the gate. What I get is Vincent... And his associates in some unknown forest, it looks like it's actually the back lot of one of the American Ninja movies, exploring a cave. And then they find the coffin of the mother of all vampires, and and he's also got the key in his hand, and that controls her and all this stuff. And then we go to the Crypt Keeper, and I thought, what was up with that? That that wasn't what I expected. Well, it's it's weird because... In uh, Demon Knight, there was the completely unrelated uh, cold opening where it's set up like an episode of Tales from the Crypt. But then we go to the Crypt Keeper as the director. In this case, it's like they went back after the fact and added the Crypt Keeper uh, in when what they had filmed was going to be the opening of the movie anyway. Like instead of having the unrelated cold opening and then the Crypt Keeper shows up to make his jokes and get parts cut off. <laughs> it, it, they decide to well we've got all this footage from the movie let's just kind of work it in there and throw the audience a, a curveball by having the cold opening actually be related to the rest of the film rather than just the usual diversion 
Yeah, I kind of like that, though. I Actually, I like the opening of this film and the whole setup here is that Vincent has been running around looking for the body of this mother of all vampires, Lilith. And he pulls a box out of his pocket. And the most hilarious thing I've ever seen of four pieces of silly putty being manipulated <laughs> to move together and form a heart. Like the, the proportions of those four pieces and then the thing he pulls up and holds as the heart are not remotely related to one another. <laughs> But it lets me know the kind of movie I'm in for, the good B picture that this is trying to be. And I, I liked it. I liked what he was doing there with that and the idea that he basically just shoves it in the corpse and then it starts to reanimate the corpse. And then and then it eats its, the corpse eats her way through his uh, collection of retainers. Yes. And, and uh, <laughs> porters. And just kind of... Uh, it, it's funny because uh, she... Uh, she has the same giant tongue that uh, Danny had in uh, Demon Knight. Yes. So it's kind of our second connecting strand between the two Tales from the Crypt movies. Yeah, but they, but they play the key totally different this time. Whoever holds that key controls her. And what I took that as is that person can't ever be attacked by her. I think I would assume so. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it's not just uh, protection against attack because I don't believe she ever attacks Vincent. No, she never does. But I think it also, it, in some ways, he controls a lot of her movements. Yes, that's yeah. what the key does. It allows you to control her. Yeah. And I can only assume through her control the rest of her uh, vampire children. Right, right. So you have her under control. But the, the thing is, we don't know what his reason is. It's just that he's been looking for her for a long time. And so that's when we get into the cold, the, out of the open and into the, the Crypt Keeper and the, as you said, the mummy being played by William Sadler, uh, cutting body parts off of each other in a couple of jokes to we go back to the story. It's like, okay, now we get back to the main story. And that's when we meet Catherine and her delinquent brother, Caleb, Erica Laniac and Corey Feldman. Now, under what parentage could these two be related? <laughs> uh, that's what that's why I started laughing, because it's yeah. it's very clear that these two aren't related at all. They yeah. could not look any more different. They could not look any less related than they do. Uh, it's it, I mean, you may as well have have cast like two different races. <laughs> you mean kind of like the new fantastic four film? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, that could be like step, that could be like step siblings, but this is clearly not step siblings. That's her brother. And that's her, his sister. And they clearly are from the opposite ends of the gene pool. Right now, what's this deal on their parents, right? Like, dad is dead and mom is in a mental institution or is sick or something like that. That's why she's living with – her brother's living with her or something like that. I I have no idea. I, I didn't, they I didn't they bother to check in on that. They drop lines on it somewhere, but it doesn't, it doesn't pay off to anything. The point is is that they, there's no explanation as to why this 20-something-year-old man would be living with his, you know, obviously older, working, successful sister. Uh, other than, I don't know, maybe he didn't have anything else better to do or he just got out of juvie or maybe it's kind of like Geraldine, you know. But that's the thing. Like, remember last time the, the convict was the hero. Clearly not going to be the case this time because I knew the minute he was on the screen, even 
even back in 1996, I was like, yep, Corey Feldman's going to die in the first act. <laughs> and he doesn't. He does and he doesn't. But I, I knew he was doomed for no good. There was going to be no redemption for the Corey uh, in this film. Yeah, he, 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 he pretty much seals his doom when he takes the advice of the crazy guy to visit the uh, bordello. <laughs> Let's talk about the crazy guy at the bar, can we? Uh, we can't quote his lines necessarily because we're trying to keep the show PG-13, but it is some of the most hilarious bad acting I think we get in the film. I, I thought he was great. <laughs> I'm not even going to play. I thought his terrible acting was the, one of the best parts of the movie because – it's clearly not a ruse that's going to fool anyone because this guy is clearly like one step away from like raving on the street corner, uh, you know, with a sign and a tinfoil hat. Yeah. I mean, this is clearly not someone who, who is going to be good at his job of luring people into this bordello to become vampire food. Yet there he is. And he gets these two idiots to, to willingly follow him to murder Island. Now, now let's let's talk about where they go and what they do for a second. Have you ever seen Tales from the Crypt? No, not Tales from. Have you ever seen Tales from the Hood? Yes, I I, I have. It is all set up around the idea of guys go to a funeral home to buy some killer weed or drugs or something, and it's actually their entry level into purgatory. And when I was watching this, I had not seen Tales from the Hood when I saw this movie the first time. Saw it sometime later, and I realized they are almost identical in the setups with the weird guy at the door from that to... um, what happens to people that it's not a funeral home doing funeral home work. It's, it's all the same kind of thing. Now tell me who this guy that answers the door is, because I know I've seen him in other things. Yes. He is a dude by the name of McCutcheon. Well, McCutcheon is the character name. The actor's name is Aubrey Morris. Right. And you will know him from, Let's see, because the whole the, the whole time I watched him, I thought I was sitting there trying to just figure out who this guy was, and he's one of those people who's been in a bunch of different movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was on Deadwood much further after this. Um, he was, let's see, oh, he was in Life Force. Ah, oh, that explains. You talk about a bug nuts vampire movie. Yeah, um, that's <laughs> another. That's another uh, thing to tie him in. Yeah, that's also another thing we can blame Golden Globus for, and 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 uh, Superman four on is the fact that that failed so miserably that it killed the budget of that entire company. So, so Life Force was the thing that sunk that whole deal. So. So we can we can blame all that on them now too. I knew I had seen him and stuff. He reminds me very much of like the Renfield character in in Dracula. I don't know if that's what he was trying to play it as, but that's very much how he plays. Yeah, that's that's definitely I think what he was going for. Uh, he was also the uh, deltoid, the uh, parole officer guy from uh, Clockwork. Orange. Oh, that might also explain where I've seen the eyes. It's the glasses. It's the way he looks. He also looks like somebody that was in a Harry Potter movie, though I don't think he probably was, but he just kind of has that look to him. But I think all British actors <laughs> of a certain age either were or looked like they should have been in the Harry Potter movie. Well, goodness knows there were enough of them to go around. So <laughs> the actors and films. But I, I love how they go in and they have to climb in a casket 
to ride it down through the uh, cremation part of the funeral home to land in the underground grotto, I guess it is. Yeah, the um, sex basement. Yes, the, the sex basement, the bordello of blood, as it were. And what they're greedy with are vampire hookers basically and the setup here is they kind of are like the fluffer they like warm up the meat and then angie everhard comes in to kill them <laughs> unless they're vegetarians right and then which she just throws them back to the to the hooker so right. <laughs> which is interesting so um i don't know i kind of like the setup here though and um i want to say this about angie everhart right now she is gorgeous to look at she is a terrible actress, <laughs> but I think she knows she's bad, and she delivers every line with as much ham as she can possibly muster. I mean, I've I've seen less ham at Thanksgiving than <laughs> what is coming out of her mouth as she blows these lines across the screen. I found her performance hilarious. Yeah, I thought she was great in, in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Um, she's clearly, yeah, she, like you said, she's clearly not a good actress, but she is more than self-aware enough to play with that mm. and kind of not make it work for her so much as just, you know, not try to pretend she's going to go study with the Royal Shakespeare company mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> off the strength of her performance as a vampire prostitute. Yeah. She's not doing Broadway work. I'm, I'm pretty sure Angie never got, got invited for that. So <laughs> no. um, yeah. So I, 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 you know, we get the whole tongue scene. She rips the guy's heart out, all that stuff. You know, I, I don't know. Again, I thought it was, I thought she was fine for what they were asking her to do. It was, it was okay. But I like the whole setup here, th- these vampires. But what we don't know at the time is what is going on. You know, what, what is happening? And, before all this happens, Catherine and her brother had had a fight about him, you know, partying and not coming to the Lord. Yeah, he's <laughs> listening to the heavy metal. Yes, uh, the the loud heavy metal as much as he can. I was like, I didn't even know that music was still cool in '96. I'm pretty sure Nirvana had killed all that at that point. So, um, I don't remember any of the metal bands that I used to listen to still being, you know, productive. <laughs> at that time, but whatever. Caleb's stuck in 1989. So. Would, she, would she have complained if it was Striper? That, there you go. If he had been listening to from To Hell with the Devil, would he have or, been in or, a bar? Or, or, or Rockin' Some Bride or something. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Next you're going to tell me he was listening to Radio Bikini for Magdalene. So... <laughs> so. <clears throat> it doesn't get more obscure than that. So... <laughs> But if if Caleb, you know, would only see the light, would only come around, but he's he's not going to, so he goes off to, you know, party and, and get the greatest piece of egg ever, apparently, according to the crazy guy. And he gets you oh, know, I have killed. A, uh, I have a note about the crazy guy. Yes. I, I did some serious digging because I thought I want my favorite I need to pay some respect to my favorite part of this movie. Yeah. Which is this dude and his completely insane uh, performance mm-hmm. uh, like where he's smearing SPF 100 on himself at a funeral and <laughs> and all that stuff. Yeah. And if I got the name right, he is an actor by the name of Matt Hill. Oh, wow. Who is uh, f- perhaps best known, and by perhaps best known, I mean only known as a voice actor. And he was one of the Eds on the classic cartoon Ed, Ed, and Eddie, one of the last gasp of actual cartoons. Wow. Like drawn cartoons on television. Yeah. He was 
Ed with one D, the smart one, the kind of ringleader with the weird voice. <laughs> that would be him. <laughs> and that's what kind of that's that's how I basically figured it out. I I, I closed the, the I shrunk the movie down so I couldn't see it, and I listened to the voice. And then I went and I pulled up an Ed Ed and Eddie clip on YouTube, and it's the same dude. Yeah, so, I'm proud of myself for some serious CSI. I, voice actor edition detective work that is more research than anyone in this film did i can promise you that and that was pretty amazing so i do like though that lila sets her eyes on on caleb right and she is going to basically make him part of her group of toadies or something like that because the screen fades to black and we don't know if she eats him, kills him, or what. What we turn out later and find out is that she turned him into a vampire um, along the way. So a week goes by, and then Catherine goes to the police to look for help. And just like good ambulance chasers, Dennis Miller, who is a private investigator, is just sort of hanging out at the police station waiting for somebody that looks helpless. So he can you know, pull out the one business card he's got and try to <laughs> proposition business. Right. Clearly, he's not, you know, Magnum P.I. He's not. He's 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 definitely fallen on hard times. And we found out later that he lost all his money in his divorce. Yes. Because he has has that thing with his wife on the phone. Yeah. Because it's the 90s and every character has a tragic I lost all my money in my divorce sort of backstory. Yes, that's that's exactly what is he uh, lays out for us to just enjoy and Dennis Miller riffing on the phone uh, for, for five minutes for you know, what otherwise serves no purpose at all. Cause it didn't matter because <laughs> it, it, nothing he does requires any real funding as we'll find out. Cause all he does is walk around and crack jokes, but he uh, convinces Catherine that, Hey, I'll help you find your brother. We'll see what's up. And I love how they go back to like an old dilapidated theater and that's his office. Now that was kind of funny to me. I was like, yeah, that, that looked cool. Cause we had a theater like that in the town I grew up in. And I thought, well, that yeah, that kind of looks like the old Martin Theater. That's that's definitely one of the more uh, – the one thing I can say for this movie is they do have some interesting-looking uh, setups, and that's definitely one of my favorite. Yeah, the, the, uh, the old movie theater turned into the detective office is – was one of my childhood ambitions was to own a crappy little one screen theater and then live in it somewhere. <laughs> I, you know what? Uh, I think you probably still can. So <laughs> there's, there's a few of them hanging around. So, um, though I think, I think, you know, you got to look higher, Ron, you got to go for the drive in nowadays, but, um, Oh, see, don't even get me started. Cause yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The, uh, the last drive-in in my hometown of Louisville is becoming a uh, industrial park. Oh, that's... after yeah, oh, after okay. being open for decades, uh, the original owners, the mom and pop owners, sold it to uh, one of the chains, oh. like, like Cinemark. Yeah. Cinemark opened it for two years, just long enough to satisfy the contract and then immediately closed it down. Oh, uh, see, there's one about an hour from here for us that still, still operates pretty effectively. So I I still have access to one, uh, in good old Harpersville, oddly enough. So it's kind of the only thing in Harpersville besides a speed trap, but anyway, (laughs) um, but back to Rafe Gutman here, cynical, sarcastic, I, you know, it's, it's Dennis Miller playing Dennis Miller. We talked about last time how Billy Zane played Billy Zane, and we kind of liked it, right? Right. Uh, d- to me, Dennis Miller, again, uh, in small spurts, is fine. I, it just seemed 
out of place in this film. Like I, I will say he may be the worst miscast in the film. I just don't ever buy him at any moment as being an effective PI. Um, he doesn't look like he'd be any good in a fight. I'm fairly certain he's awful with a gun. And I, I just don't know what good he would be. He's more like the guy that would, I don't know, do your taxes. <laughs> more so than that's what he looks like, at least. Or he's the wisecracking radio DJ that maybe runs the, the DJ booth at the church or something. He just doesn't seem like a P.I. No, he's he's definitely not cast to, to be anything other than Dennis Miller. Yeah. And they don't even really make him try to be a P.I. all that much. I mean, he gets a, a few little action scenes, but uh, mostly his action is limited to being sarcastic to uh, guys at the bar. Yeah. So, But he goes looking for um, Caleb, and he actually does a little bit of detective work. I mean, he goes, and he goes to the same bar, and he, he messes around with some of the guys that Caleb had talked around with and stuff, and he, I don't know, it, how he got out of there without getting his butt kicked is amazing to me, because I'm like, no, in any other movie, like, in, and in real life, that guy would have been destroyed by the three dudes he was smart talking to. <laughs> like, yeah. just, just being wise in a survey is not going to get you out of the beating that is to come from those three jocks. But <laughs> No, if anything, it's going to make your beating worse because you used big words yes, exactly. and infuriated uh, goatee and his friends exactly so they they go about though but he of course bumps into the same crazy guy with we're at spf you know? is, uh, let's not be remiss he's eating raw hamburger and drinking bloody mary's yes as if you couldn't figure out he was a vampire or a vampire in transition or something he's not totally a vampire yet i didn't they didn't get what that meant what the yeah. rules were but uh that's certainly what they're playing it as because he goes to the the funeral home and he finds out the funeral homes of bordello and he goes and asking for the whatever the wake you're supposed to ask for to be able to get at the cunningham service or whatever and they're like nope it's closed tonight so he can't get in and he tries to get in gets nothing out of it and so he goes back to the bar and that's when the guy tells him all about it and so he winds up going back with the dude later to break in so it takes him two trips to get to the bordello well they're clearly uh, just trying to pad the movie out <laughs> yeah i was like this movie's 87 minutes long and it could have been 20 minutes shorter like it really, I, I felt like last time the last one looked a little bit like a TV show, but it felt like a movie that got put together. This one feels like this was a show, and then we just tried to pad the length a little bit. Yeah, we had about 65 minutes of script, and we needed to make it 85. Yeah, and none of Dennis Miller's you know ramblings were gonna were gonna stretch it out. So so they have to make two trips out of the thing. But he ultimately gets his way in, and he has the. I don't know the S and M scene with the the newest stripper or whatever. Like I don't know they they have this whole talk and he basically ties her up in her own device and then leaves her there, but he drops his wallet on the way out. Yeah, because clearly that's the thing that that happens a lot <laughs> when you're when you're wearing tight '90s jeans. Exactly. I don't. I'm not sure how his wallet supposedly was supposed to have fallen out, but I mean, here we go. Yeah, exactly. It's like he's he's done that now. And that's how Angie Everhart tracks him down. I'm like, she just walks right into his office. And I thought, I thought vampires had to be invited in, kids. I guess if it's a public building, it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, but she's not a vampire. She is something else. Oh, well, what, what is she then? If she is I think not she's a, I think she's a demon. I think that's why she eats hearts instead okay. of just drinks blood. Okay, but she's got fangs. Uh, that's true. Mm. But she also made a whole point of eating those hearts. I don't know what 
I, it's like they didn't they changed what she is between like in, in one script she's a demon and in the next script they need to make her a vampire. But in the rewrite process, they just kind of combine the best scenes from both, if you could call these the best scenes. <laughs> and she she became as inconsistent as the rest of the film. Well, you have just hit on why I said earlier this film falls apart for me halfway through it. And it's because of this. This is the big thing. They can't decide what the big evil is or what rules it has to play by because she just sort of vanishes, too, when when people show up. And I'm like, but the vampires are fast. and you know, They can do that much we haven't seen her dematerialize and turn into a bat. Where did that come from? You know, and I, I thought the, one of the weakest parts of this was they didn't have a villain that made any sense as to why, what the villain was and what it could do. They, they needed to explain it a little bit more. And she didn't show up on film like a vampire does. Right. She, she didn't have any of the vampire weaknesses either. Cause they definitely like impale her and, and do terrible things to her. Yeah, like, the way they ultimately destroy her, and we'll, we'll talk about it, is is a vampire trope, but it's not the one. No, it's the uh, weird quadrisected heart thing again. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's almost th- the heart, yeah. But you would think that burning a cross onto a demon's back with a laser would somehow harm it. I mean, even Billy Zane yeah. is harmed by the key. Right. And here, she... Doesn't she touch the key and like break it? Or no, it was um, Vincent who breaks the key. That was Vincent who does that. Yeah. So, well, let's just talk about it now. We can blow it now. The whole thing here is the Reverend is involved in this thing with her. Explain to me what his involvement with Lilith and Vincent and the brothel and all this is about. Like, they're they're stealing people's cars to fund the mission work of this televangelist? Yes. The the televangelist. has the key. I assume he sent Vincent to get the key for him. Uh, Vincent's kind of his gal Friday. Yeah. Um, I already made that joke. Uh, <laughs> but but much like Dennis Miller, I'll just keep repeating that same joke for 20 years. <laughs> Go with it. <laughs> anyway, he sends Vincent. I think he's the guy who's been funding this expedition mm-hmm. to uh, find the key. And he, I believe he uses the... Uh, he uses the the bordello for two things. Number one, he's cleansing the world of Corey Feldman type scumbags. Right. And he's also, yes, he's selling those cars and using it to fund his televangelist uh, mission, which as we see has a laser show and a giant animatronic Satan and that uh, telecaster. That's pretty clearly, uh, you know, one of the most expensive things on the film's budget. Yes, I, I'm. Well, the way he carries it around so gingerly, it was clearly loaned and not bought. So right, right. <laughs> it came from Eric Clapton's house. Yeah. We gotta take care of it. Yeah, just be careful with that. Just don't don't break that. So just the E chord very carefully. So, uh, but I do love it, the 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 rocking church and what ultimately happens is Vincent and Lilith decide, yeah, we're gonna start keeping the dough for ourselves. Because he gets on them about being greedy or something like that. And then they break the key and that frees Lilith to go on a rampage, right? Like until then, she's sort of confined to just be the runner of this, you know, whorehouse. Right. Mm-hmm. But that once they break the key, she's free to do her evil deeds, which really aren't that much more evil than what she was doing previously. I know. I mean, she doesn't <laughs> rip anybody in half. She doesn't really like run amok. She's just able to go, uh, you know, 
It's almost like it, it just lets her out of the house. That's kind of all it does. I mean, but th- this is the other thing, too. I'm like, if you're going to have this key as a part of this movie, and that was going to be one of the tying things between these you know, pieces, why on earth would you blow it up, break it halfway into the movie, and then it's just gone? I'm like, I thought that would be a bad thing if the key got destroyed or in the hands of demons. Yeah, it's it clearly does as it's completely. Pro, uh, presumably, it's a different universe from the one in which uh, Billy Zane and William Sadler uh, lived. Yeah. <laughs> Despite the presence of the key, you would think they would have some sort of consistency with the key. Mm-hmm. But uh, clearly, um, I don't think that e- any of these, either of these crews, were really connected to each other. I don't think that the pl- they say that there was a plan to do a trilogy. I don't buy that for a minute. <laughs> I think they just made a lot of money. They were like, "Oh, great! Now we got to do a sequel." All right, what do we got? Uh, Dennis Miller's right down the hall. Let's just grab him. Yeah, hey, hey Dennis, you want to do a movie? <laughs> yeah, sure, babe. Yeah, <laughs> I think you've hit it. I think that's exactly what happens. <laughs> or you know, maybe the uh, the president of HBO, whose name I forget at this point, was like, you know, Dennis Miller should be a bigger star. Maybe we should, you know, he was on Saturday Night Live. He was in a movie. <laughs> yeah, let's let's let him do another one. So, yeah, I uh, I agree because they stop playing by their own rules halfway through this. That's what kills me. I'm like, at least just go with it. Go with the thing that brings you here. Because what happens is Rafe continues on this case, and Kathy goes to a bar and shoots some footage, you know, talking about I don't know mysterious people oh, missing or whatever. And that's no, no she's. She uses some money from JC to do an expose on the sin of lust. Oh, that's what it is. Okay. She goes to a strip club, and that's where she runs into um, Lilith and Vincent, and even uh, JC himself is skulking in the background in a Ninja Turtles uh, disguise. <laughs> yeah. Trench coat and a hat. Yes. So, because they're just doing research, of course. And uh, because that was the joke on all televisions, right? They were secretly taking all of your grandmother's donations and, you know, going to the bar. So, but when she shoots footage of Lilith, it's later back in the producer's, you know, hut that she's like, wait a minute, wasn't there somebody in that bar stool? And then she, she realizes, wait. He wasn't crazy after all because they've already discredited Rafe at this point, right? He gets the cops to come over to the the mortuary and you know he, he burns a casket and all this stuff. Yeah, and he breaks into the tomb and takes pictures of the pile of dead people, right. including the dead uh, Reggie, the crazy guy. Yeah, who had, who had, had his head ripped off by Lilith at that point for being, I don't know, insurrected. I don't know. So, but. But he can't. Uh, but that convinces Catherine. You know what? You're right. There's there's more going on here than meets the eye, right? And so that's going to be the whole bit. So Rafe manages to get away from. Uh, uh, gets. Wh- how, wait a minute. Hold on. I've gotten lost here. How does he wind up in the hospital? That's what I forgot. <laughs> oh, uh, that's a good question. I don't Let remember me... how, how that is. Like. Oh, right, yeah. right. He. Uh... Goes out the window. They're they're running away from uh, um, the uh, the vamp. Uh, they're running away from Lilith and her brother in that Caleb. weird. Um, yeah, the, at the at the abandoned factory factory. Yeah, there uh, you go. <laughs> her, her her brother is supposed to meet them there. They find some kind of clue from him that says, uh, "Hey, meet us here. Help me." 
Oh, she gets a phone call from her brother. That's it. There you go. And so they all meet up at the abandoned creepy factory. And uh, not only does Dennis Miller mention Tales from the Crypt, he also mentions the X-Files oh. at that point. <laughs> and then when they're fleeing, she has the great idea to grab a, a length of chain and swing across this um, pointless Star Wars pit. <laughs> And she lands on her feet. He goes out the window and lands on the hood of the sheriff's car. <laughs> and then he wakes up in the hospital uh, cha- uh, strapped face down for some reason. <laughs> because that's what we find out is Tammy has the one that's got him. She's posing as the nurse, right? So yes. she's come there to kill him, presumably. Right. Right. But then he stabs her in the head with an IV needle and smashes her with the crash cart. And because her, because she forgot to apply sunscreen before she put on her dress, uh, she catches fire and then explodes. Yeah, let's talk about the whole sunscreen vampire thing. Um, I didn't think that would even work <laughs> for, for real vampires. Otherwise, you know, Blade would have would have had a lot more problems <laughs> in his time. Yeah, you would think so. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's kind of in the, the spirit of hey, let's embrace the '90s. It's not safe to get suntans anymore, so everybody's got sunscreen. Uh, that that was my only assumption for the reason behind that. Some kind of SPF 3000 sunblock. Yeah. Uh, but let's not forget that Whoopi Goldberg was a, the patient next to Rafe <laughs> in the hospital. Yeah. And she, she gets a horrible, look at me, I'm Whoopi Goldberg doing a cameo where she stares into the camera for like five seconds. For after. no reason. <laughs> no just, reason at all. Just to pummel you over the head with the fact that she's there. Yeah, I, I don't even know why she was there. But again, at this point, I, I was watching this movie just going, wait a minute, what, what is even happening anymore? <laughs> it's, it is like that Saturday Night Live skit that goes on like two minutes too long, and you, you start to rewind and realize where did this start falling apart? And it started falling apart when they broke the magical amulet key thing and then everybody started running around in the blank factory spaces. Like, I'm not sure what's happening here anymore. I think it was a uh, requirement. They they were required to have a, uh, a empty factory. <laughs> I guess so. so. I love how when they're trying to go around and find people, the J.C. Current, we haven't even talked about the preacher's name, Chris Randon hilarious hilarious as this this hill evangelist he is good I, you know <laughs> yeah. i gotta give him credit for that he showed up he, yeah played out all of it i mean just amazing like if jerry dandridge had had a brother that went the other way <laughs> you know, it's kind of like uh, jerry lee lewis and uh, you know, whatever his televangelist relative is uh fallwell or no not fallwell uh uh swagger yeah so um that's the one he's related to it's like if they had uh, come come together or come from the same place. But I love how he finds he thinks he finds Kathy, but it's actually just Lilith in disguise. And I did think the breaking of the hand thing they had that that one in the last view. Every time they broke somebody's hand, it was like the one thing the special effects crew knew how to do really well. And they brought that back again for this time. Well, I mean, if you've got a good prop arm sitting around. <laughs> Why wouldn't you just make as much use of it as you could? Yeah, I mean, you know, clearly it's easy to just make up and throw out there. But I liked how she is um, where she just totally turns on him at that point. And that's when, you know, things are starting to get real bad because everybody's (laughs) starting to just fall apart. But she gets hit with an axe. 
which is this was the best effect I thought is he cuts her in half almost Rafe does and she's able to reattach her body before you know they can before get uh, before she can turn around and do anything to Rafe Kathy and Current. You you didn't like the uh, the vampire super soakers. I didn't think that we're going to get to those in a second. Hold on to that. All right. Sorry. Yes. But anyway, so Rafe heads to the church to reveal the existence of vampires via the church's media equipment, which I'm like, what good is that going to do you at this point? I don't think that's going to to make much of a difference, but we should talk about the Rambo like raid that they have done on the Bordello at this point. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, he, Dennis Miller, runs back into JC, mm-hmm. and um, now they and they have decided to kind of team up. After uh, he drives through, Dennis Miller drives through the uh, the Reverend shows up to see Lilith, who's torturing Catherine. <laughs> while at the same time, Dennis Miller is crashing through the door of the thing of the mortuary in his car, and he runs over uh, that British character actor. Yes, and then he shoots the uh, little person. <laughs> after is this when he calls him a demented Ewok? I believe that is when he drops the Ewok line. And what yes. I want to know is, was the guy actually an Ewok? He was. Ah, oh, amazing. <laughs> he was an Ewok, and he was in Return to Oz. So he has hit the both high points on the little person career. Has he been on Game of Thrones yet? That's the the other side. <laughs> uh, I'm sure they. There's probably a clause in Peter Dinklage's contract that says he can't have any competing uh, little people. There we go. That's probably true, and and for good reason. So there's there's no reason to, to get any beyond that. So, uh, he could have been one of the elves in Elf. So, but, but he gets shot. You're right. And then they go in to the bordello of blood with what can only be described as blessed super soakers. I got a question for you. Like, does that work if you're not a Catholic priest and if you're a televangelist <laughs> or is well, it just all about belief? I, that's a really good question. Uh, in the, in the, a movie that came out at the similar time period from dusk till dawn, there's uh-huh. another scene with, with blessed squirt guns. Yeah, but wasn't Harvey Keitel like a disgraced preacher in that or something? Which is another hilarious bit of stunt casting. Yes, he was a uh, he was a disgraced uh, preacher. Yeah, or, or one had lost his faith because his wife died. You're right. Yeah. Yes, but so. he, but he wasn't Catholic because he's got those kids. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So maybe Presbyterian. So, but uh, anyway. Oh, um, um, yes. Speaking of the little person, I will go ahead and tell you that he was one of the dwarves in Phantasm Two. Oh wow! He he was in Willow because I think everyone was. Uh, and here's the best part: he was in the Garbage Pail Kids movie. Which one was he? Greaser Greg. Wow! Now that is you talk about making the uh, the rounds. That is a, a resume. Uh, well, if that was there, that'd get you hired in a lot of places. So I'm, I'm sure because it did worlds for Mackenzie Austin. So, ah. <laughs> but uh, but they go in with the blessed uh, super soakers, and you know, in in pure vampire fashion, they lay waste to everything. But unlike the cool kill scene in uh, From Dust Till Dawn, this is not well done. The, it's like the effects budget had been blown at that point, and they just had to, a lot of fire and a lot of people jumping over furniture. Right, and they don't even show you, like, I think they show you one vampire blowing up, Yeah, and then the, the rest of it is, like, CG is, like, bad, almost like bad... Uh, 
rear screen projection fire mm-hmm. just placed haphazardly in the background. Mm-hmm. It's it's terrible. It look it looks terrible, and that's at the point when Lilith kills Current or inflicts mortal wounds on him. She gets cut in half, and then she turns around. And at that point, Dennis Miller is like he's strung up. Uh, by handcuffs up above the the television equipment while Lilith is like stalking Catherine on the stage. Right. But um, she she clearly didn't uh, pay attention to where she was handcuffing him or she didn't have a a an idea of what uh, laser light oh the lord <laughs> meant. Yeah, and the fact that Dennis Miller has the educated feet of Rob Van Dam to be able to operate the thing uh, uh, while being <laughs> strung up by those handcuffs, he cuts across into her, and I think we're led to believe that that, that four cuts her heart into its four pieces again, and then they burn up, and that's when she falls to the stage dead, right? Uh, no. No. It cuts her heart up, mm-hmm. but because it was still inside her in four pieces, it didn't kill her. Oh. What, what killed her was Catherine got the giant um, pitchfork from the animatronic devil puppet and rammed it through her chest. Oh, there we and, go. And three of her heart pieces were stuck on that thing, and the other heart piece goes, hits Dennis Miller in the face. Oh, that's – there. you're right. I forgot about the flying silly putty. So because that's what it – the flying silly putty on fire, I should and say. And then she becomes a wiggling skeleton puppet that's on fire. Yes, and, and then she's done. So that's that's that. And the next day, they've – uh, they buried her remains to prevent her from returning, and they lock away the box. Of the you know, Rafe says, "I'm going to lock this thing up." I have a friend at NASA that's going to send us into space, babe. You know, he's, he, <laughs> he gives her that, and I love. I will say this though, I was waiting for the twist ending because we kind of got the twist at the last one was that that battle of that demon knight was over, but there was another one coming for Jada somewhere down the line. Well, in the twist of this, they get in the car and he's like, "What kind of perfume you got on there, uh, Erica Laniac?" And she's like, "It's sunscreen." And we noticed two bite marks on her thigh, then fangs, and then uh, the car starts rocking. Yeah, I also liked that it was uh, – this time the box was consecrated by a rabbi. Yeah. <laughs> who made the joke, when I consecrate things, they stay consecrated. <laughs> well, you know, again, more of Dennis Miller's influence, I imagine. So, But I, I will give the movie credit for the end. I thought, well, that was cool. I, I've wanted Dennis Miller dead for at least half of this movie, so <laughs> they paid off on – on that bit, we go back to the Crypt Keeper. I think all that's left of William Sadler is his head sticking up out of a chair at that point. The Crypt Keeper you know, laughs, and that's the end of the movie. It just That's it. We're, we're gone. But we do get uh, Ballroom Blitz again. We do get Ballroom Blitz, and I I wondered how many zeros were on the check to the Ramones um, <laughs> to, to get that to go down. Because uh, it's it was a good way to end. It was more satisfying than most of what this film had delivered to me at this point. So because I think I said in the middle of it, I just sort of turned on it. So I'm going to give my popcorn rating here first. I always have to go second on these damn things. So I'm going to go first this time. This <laughs> has the makings to be good medium popcorn, be fun, but it's a premise and a script that is fleshed out to just be longer than what it really is built to be. And that's like an hour show and it shows it. And Miller's uh, sketch runs 
uh, a little cold on me at, by the the middle of it and through the end of it. And I just I don't know. Again, they don't play enough by their own rules or establish enough for me to be able to get into it. At least Demon Knight set it all up and played by their own goofy rules. This one it just doesn't work, and I can see why it failed. So I'm going to give it a small popcorn. So Ron, what's your ratings and recommendations for this? I'm going to give it a medium popcorn just because this is Dennis Miller at the height of his Dennis Millerness. Uh, it's like this is like the er Dennis Miller. If he's going to have a uh, time capsule, this movie should be a part of it because this is him at his 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 most feathery mullet, his best you know grizzly beard, his best pointless quipping. I mean, it's clearly a. It was like they decided to slap the Tales from the Crypt name on, like, Dennis Miller's starring vehicle. But <laughs> much like Norm MacDonald, his starring vehicle just didn't work for the general public. I enjoyed it. Not as much as I like uh, Dirty Work, the Norm MacDonald flick. That's yeah. basically the same idea. Yeah. But, you know, it, it works for me because I, I, I can at least appreciate his pointless quipping. <laughs> I'll give you credit for that. I'm glad you found something to hang on to. But for me, it didn't work, and it didn't work nearly as good as Demon Knight. Like that, and that to me surprises me because oh no, Demon again, Knight's clearly yeah. Go ahead. Uh, Demon Knight's clearly the uh, the uh, the one that gets you in the seats. Uh, this is Bordello Blood's the one they put on to pad out the double feature. I guess so, and it's the weaker half. The question is though. Is it just the bad middle, or is it a sign of things to come? Because we got one more chapter of this, Ron. Ritual. That neither of us knew existed till we started looking into this. And it stars Jennifer Grey from Dirty Dancing fame, man. So I have no idea what we're in for next time. I think the fact that we haven't heard of it should tell us something. It probably should. So, But it, it came out six years after this. But it's also got Craig Sheffer in it, who was in one of my favorite of the Hellraiser sequels. He was in Inferno, and I thought that was pretty good, and he was good in it. So I'm, I'm hopeful going into Ritual that we can at least get back closer to what we have with Demon Knight. But we'll see next time for sure. Well, but, it, doesn't, it doesn't make me feel good that uh, Ritual came out many years after Tales from the Crypt was canceled. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's another thing. We'll definitely have to get into that because I've got questions about its connection to any of this anyway. So. But folks, thanks for joining us in the latest edition of Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com. Click the Filmstrip logo and you'll find them all there. Find links to our Facebook and Twitter pages as well. You can also find links to our other podcast ventures, The Art of Slaying, our Buffy the Vampire Slayer review show, and the Fabish Factor General Film Discussion Podcast, hosted by Kurt Fabish, and Brian's wrestling podcast, Squared Circle Flashbacks. Folks, you can also find Ron's writing over at denofgeek.com if you're, on the, if you're reading on the American side. And you can also follow him on his website, popfi.com. Enjoy all of those things and let us know what you think of the show. We appreciate your support. Until next time, from Ron, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip.